We are in the middle of a series, uh, building the capacity to receive from God. I won't be able to go back to everything we said in the last three weeks. However, we want to go back to the scriptures. Our main scriptures, Psalm 37 verse 23. Let me try and test you. The people in the 7 o'clock service didn't get it right, but I know you are all going to get it right. If you've been here for the last three weeks, Psalms 37 verse 23, what does it say? Look at the people who have been here for the last three weeks and they never said anything. Look at them and say, who? Let's say it again. The steps of a good man are what? And he delighteth in his way. Verse 24. Though he fall, he shall not be what? Why? For the Lord upholds him with his hand. You know, and I said in the last few weeks, own that verse. Say it like this. My steps are ordered by the Lord. Uh, God will direct me. God will lead me. God will guide me. My steps are ordered by the Lord. We should expect God to lead us. We should open our hearts to being led by God. We should look forward to that. All right? We shouldn't be groping around in darkness, second-guessing God's will. The Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And then the second scripture we use is Romans 8.14. Romans 8.14. What does it say? I was alone. There's too few of you who are saying that. Uh, Romans 814, what does it say? As, for as many as are led by what? They are what? Or they are the children of God. Say it with me. I'm a child of God. And I expect to be led by the Spirit of God. Say it again. I'm a child of God. And I expect to be led by the Spirit of God. And then that next scripture we use is Proverbs 20, 27. I'm sure this one you know it. I am sure you know it's about six. What does it say? The first few rows, nobody said anything for the, all the last three verses. What does it say? The spirit of man is what? Yes. Searching all the inward parts of the belly. We know a candle is used to give light. So what it says there is that God will enlighten us. Huh? God will give us illumination through our spirits. All right? So we defined the makeup of man. Man is a spirit being. He has a soul and lives in a body. And then we said there are five ways through which God guides us. These are not the only five, but we want to just talk about these five. Number one, we said God guides us through his word. And that's the fundamental one. Okay? That is the one through which all types of being guided are being filtered through. Yeah, if God is really guiding us, he will never guide us in contradiction to his word. God's word must forever remain for us as the filter through which we filter anything that comes our way. We talked about that at length, how God guides us through his word. And then for the last two Sundays, we talked about how God guides us through the inward witness. We defined what the inward witness was, how you know if it's a yes or if it's a no, and all of that. Today, we want to talk about how God guides us through the conscience. The conscience. See, the inward witness and the conscience work together. So in order for you to develop your spirit or your ability to hear your spirit, 
We need to determine all of us that we're going to keep a tender conscience. All right? We're going to explain that. We should make sure we don't violate our conscience because God does lead us through our conscience. It may not be through words, even though we say conscience is the voice of the Spirit, but it's mostly through an inward sense of right or wrong. You just know on the inside, okay, that the conscience is saying something. So we need to make a practice to always obey our spirits. Watch this now. Your conscience is the voice of your spirit. Say it with me. My conscience is the voice of my spirit. Know this now. Your conscience is the voice of your spirit and it relates to your mind what the spirit of God is saying to your heart. Therefore, if you persist violating your conscience, you'll make it to be calloused to the Holy Spirit's promptings. See, continual violation of the conscience leads us to that point where we are callous to being led by the Spirit. It's not that the Holy Spirit is not leading us, but it's that we're no more hearing the leading of the Spirit. As a result of being calloused, spiritual things become indistinct to us. And our conscience no longer becomes a safe guide because we've gotten to that point where our conscience has been calloused. You know, I remember, you know, I played soccer a lot as a, as a child. And, uh, you know, those years, we, we, you know, most of us, we grew up under very difficult circumstances. It's still just almost the same now, not 100%, but, you know, many of us didn't have shoes and so, so on. So when we played soccer, we used to play it with bare feet. But then time came when some of the children were able to buy soccer boots. I don't know if you remember the old-fashioned soccer boots. They used to have a steel something in front, inside the boot. Yeah, and the, 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 the spikes were steel spikes. I mean, if, they, if that guy, you were in big trouble. But you know, there were some of the guys who had walked barefooted for so long that they used to play soccer barefooted against the guy with the soccer boots. And they were capping him. And you see the guy with the soccer boots actually being the one who's always carrying injuries. I remember the one guy who, I mean, a lot of This guy literally was He used to play against people with soccer boots. He was analyzed so strong that. If it came your way, you never wanted to mess with a guy. All right? If you have the ball, you better run away from him or leave the ball alone and he'll get the ball. This guy could literally break glass. I know why Uruwo, because you know yours is very soft. But think about it. As a baby, he wasn't like that. He developed to be like that through a long process. It's a process of being accustomed and getting used to until he could kick you and not feel anything. He could break a glass and not feel anything. That's what happens with the conscience. Constant violation of the conscience leads us to that point where we don't feel anything anymore. Now, it's not that God's not talking. It's not that the Holy Spirit is not saying anything, but that spiritual mukeng. Hashtag spiritual mukeng. Look at them and say, I hope I'm not mukeng. Oh, I just hope you don't have that mukeng. Yeah. Once your conscience is seared, the Bible uses that term, and we'll, we'll discuss it 
later on. It will be difficult for you to discern the Lord's leading and to follow God's plan for your life. Now, conscience is important. Paul talked about his conscience. Look at Acts chapter 23, verse 1. Paul is before the Sanhedrin, spiritual leaders, and it says, and Paul, earnestly beholding the council, said, men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. Paul is recounting his journey. He said, ever since I came to know Christ as Savior and Lord of my life, I have lived before God in all good conscience until this day. The NIV read, Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, My brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. The New Living Translation reads, Gazing intently at the high council, Paul began, Brothers, I've always lived before God with a clear conscience. So Paul says, in my journey as a leader, I always checked what was going on in my conscience. He's saying my conscience is really not the, thermo the thermometer, but the thermostat. You know, a thermometer measures the temperature, but, but a thermostat sets the temperature. Paul says, I set the temperature and I set the bar at a certain level and I wasn't going to go beyond that bar. I, went, I wanted to make sure that my conscience is a good conscience. You know, sometimes uh, as, as people and as, as leaders, as parents, as, as whatever, we, we, we kind of push our conscience to places where it shouldn't go. And once it gets to that point and the thermostat is tempered with, it's a big problem. In 1 Samuel 24, very interesting story we read about there. David had issues with Saul. Saul wanted to kill David. So David is running from Saul all the time. Even though Saul, uh, David hadn't done anything wrong towards him. And then one day... Saul went out to pursue David and he was told that David is hiding somewhere. And, and whilst looking for David, Saul goes into this cave for some privacy. <laughs> so let, let's read that. First Samuel chapter 24, we'll read from verse 1, the New Living Translation. After Saul returned from fighting the Philistines, he was told that David had gone into the wilderness of Engedi. So Saul chose 3,000 Eli troops from all Israel and they went to search for David. Can you imagine Bahul Batla with 3,000 people? Hey! And his men near the rocks of the wild goats. At the place where the road passes some sheepfold, Saul went into a cave. Okay, to relieve himself. Kid number two or kid number one. Oh, I'll number one or number two. Or Lunali, it's number one and number two. So he went to relieve himself. But it happened. David and his men were hiding further back in the very cave. Now note what happened. <laughs> Now's your opportunity, David. Uh, now it's your opportunity. David's men whispered to him. Today the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with as you wish. So David crept forward and cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. All right. So he's doing this now. Verse 5, my main verse. But then David's conscience. What happened? Began bothering him. Because he had cut Saul's robe. You know, the conscience always bothers you after the facts. Sometimes it's before the facts, during the facts, but mostly after the facts. After we convince it's all right, then you go home, you can't sleep. 
But his conscience was bothering him. Note, verse 6. David said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord the King. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed. For the Lord himself has chosen him. He says, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. But it was his conscience. It was his conscience. The reality is, Mahesu, when we do stuff that's not right, our conscience does talk to us. Yeah. Yeah. I think about it. You know, if we were all to obey our conscience, we don't have to have hard summons from the pulpit where people are bitsuling us. Who this, who this, who this. Yeah. Listening to our conscience as born again, children of God, in whom the Spirit of God resides, we would go further in life in terms of doing what is right. However, the conscience, if pushed beyond certain levels, it deteriorates. The years was interesting. See, when we are still young, just like that child with tender feet, you know, there are things that we, we, we can do. But you see, it's about as life unfolds and as we allow ourselves. So let me show you now the process of the deterioration of conscience. And at the end, I'm going to show you how to make that conscience to be alive again. All right? It's always a process. There's different stages that the conscience goes through, like load shading. You know, there's stage one, there's stage two, there's stage three, there's, there's, there's stages. So we're at stage one. Stage one. Stage one. The first stage is the accusing or the convicting conscience, whether your conscience accuses you or convicts you. It's just you and your conscience. It convicts you or it accuses you. Look at John chapter 8, please. John chapter 8. I want it in the King James Version because it's quite strong there. Jesus went out unto the Mount of Olives. Follow the story with me. Early in the morning, he came again into the temple. So he goes to church, right? And all the people came unto him and he sat down and taught them. So it, was a, it wasn't exactly like this, but it was similar to this. So people have come to church. Jesus sitting down. He's teaching them. Imagine it's a church service. Tell your neighbor it's a church service. Tell your other neighbor it's a church service neighbor. Yeah, so it's a church service. All right? Now note what happens. Next verse. And the scribes of the Pharisees, these are religious leaders, brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. Now that's bad enough to say. But then it continues to say, in the very act. Who would have almost very red-handed? And they set her in the midst. If I was Zimbabwean, I'd say they set her in the midst. <laughs> no, no, no. Stay with my verse. Stay with my verse. So, so they bring this woman and they set her in the midst. <laughs> All right? They, they put her right there in the midst of that. Next verse. And they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. I oh, oh, couldn't do wrong. Where's the brother? Because, because the, the definition of adultery in this context is that type of, that adultery you can commit it only one, naganjan. So you can see already these guys, right? She's calling adultery in the very act. Let's see how Jesus is going to respond. So this, so, so that now they, oh, they get religious, you know. The Nababa quote the Bible. Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stolen. I can almost imagine their poets. What do you say? <laughs> <laughs> this they said, tempting him that they might accuse him. But Jesus stooped down with his finger, wrote on the ground as though he didn't hear them. 
So Next verse. But they continued asking him. So he lifted up himself and said, He that's without sin among you, let him be the first one to cast a stone to her. Now note. And again he stooped down, wrote on the ground, verse 9. And they were they heard it being convicted by their own conscience. He says, See, whilst you are pointing somebody, you also know. Isn't it strange how we are more harder on people who have done the same thing that we are struggling with? Being convicted by their own conscience, they went out by one by one, beginning at the elders, even unto the last. Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. See, when our conscience convicts us, you feel bad on the inside. You feel a sense of guilt. Or you blush. Now, I wanted to note the connection between the blushing and the conscience. See, when you blush, blood runs to your face. And, and you, 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 you turn whatever color, depending. <laughs> we all come in different shades. <laughs> but have you realized how much children blush? Or there are things back then when you did them for the first time, you blushed. But with time, the blushing goes away. Or it's not as much. Note, it's not that the deed is right. It's just the thermostat has been adjusted. You realize children are not good liars. Or, let me rephrase, they are not convincing liars. See, when children have stolen something, nana, yeah, you can see they're saying no. Mara, you can see they're blushing. You can see from their stance. Mara, look at us professionals. <laughs> but there was a time when our conscience convicted us. There was a time when we blushed. All right? There was a time when we, we, we went to bed and we couldn't sleep because of something we had done. We couldn't sleep. Kiss stage one. Kiss stage one said. Now, if you, if you respond to the blushing, to the conviction, if you respond to the pricking on the inside, then it saves you from going to stage two. Yeah. Yeah. It helps you. Helps you. One preacher said, and, and I like what he said. He said, you know, he said, always keep your conscience tender. Yeah, he said that. And then he said, don't try to live your life by other people's consciences. If you see some Christian doing something and they are comfortable with it, if you are still when I had the blushing stage, ngamano blasha once. Don't push yourself to that level because Utoyako stage two. Yes, stage two. Stage two. The second thing is if you, do, if you ignore the conscience at this stage of blushing, the next stage, then you move to what the Bible calls an offended conscience. Acts 24, 16. Let's have it on the screen. And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense towards God and towards men. And a funded conscience is you stand before God, you feel guilty because you know there's something that has not been dealt with. 
You stand before people, you know there's something wrong, it hasn't been dealt with, but you're trying to, you're trying to normalize it. Have you ever tried to accept something? Why is it not right, Mara? It's almost like the other because the rule in it. Now man knows cheek a song camaro out of head yet that's that yeah cheese. Paul says, I made sure that I exercise myself and I make sure that my conscience is void of offense towards God. See, when, when your conscience is bothering you before God, when you read the epistle of John, we can't stand with confidence in approaching God. We can be confident in our prayer. We can be confident in exercising our faith. We can be confident in walking with God. And that becomes a big door that Satan will use to bring your life down. Because we will talk about it at the end, about the power of the blood of Jesus that's able to help us. But the word offense means that which causes one to stumble. Paul is saying that I'm endeavoring to keep my conscience so enlightened and pure to truth and duty. And that what is made known to be right should be honestly and faithfully performed. I'm going to perform what's right and I'm going to be faithful to it. I don't want to try and normalize something that's not right. And, and force myself to accept it. Even if it's wrong. Paul says, ah, I'm not going to do that. Now, this is a leader talking. This is somebody who led and did very well as a servant of the Lord. This is a message for all of us, wherever we are, wherever we are. This is how we live life. This is how you start life and you don't crush your life. Can I hear an amen? amen. If you ignore this, then we go to stage three. Stage three then is a defiled conscience. This one is a sad one. Titus 1.15. It says, unto the pure, all things are pure. Please keep that verse there. But unto them that are defiled, watch this, and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and their conscience is defiled. Let me explain this. You know, one minister years ago made me help me understand this verse. I didn't understand this verse. This is how he explained it. He said, you know, when, 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 when somebody has a certain orientation about the, what they believe about you, it, it doesn't matter what you say, what you do, they will always believe that about you. You know, there's people who believe certain things. Maybe they believe who know your, your, your success with really ka, 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 ka backdoor. They, they, they really don't believe that you worked hard. They don't believe you. So it doesn't matter what you do. You know? How raga kolwa we would tweet. How akhantwara oh utswere lotu. There's nothing that you do. So this is how this leader explained it. He said, oftentimes what people project to us is because of their own orientation. Now, 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 watch this now. Sometimes it's based on how they got what they got. Okay. They, they know, they know Yachisa. And even the workers will have anchor from the other construction company during part time. So everything Yachis. Literally, so they know to have the house, to have the car, or to have this, it's all because they had to So they know that. So when they see you advancing, it's difficult for them to believe that you do it, did it in an honest way. 
And because their mind and their conscience is defiled, when they look at you, they filter you through their own orientation. So here it is. There are people who will never like you. No matter what you try. No matter how good you are. No matter how much integrity you have. Huh? No matter how genuine you are. They, they still don't believe it. Yeah? They still don't believe it. Yeah. Yeah. If you, if you progress, but no. Una let's win. If things work out well in your home, but una nyoka munului. So what are you going to do? What are you going to do? So instead of fighting with them, just accept. Well, because that's the way they look at life. They filter life through that. See, everybody gets out. So it's hard to believe when I'm out. Okay, stage three, same. A defiled conscience. In other words, this stage is where they have adjusted their tolerance level. And they have certain view towards life. Now, if at this stage you still don't change and you ignore this, you move to stage four, which the Bible calls an evil conscience. Hebrews 10, 22. Hey, is not easy, ne? Maria Hebrews 10, 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. Evil means bad, malicious, wicked. This indicates degenerating when somebody becomes evil. You know, I was giving this example, you know, in, uh, I used to watch uh, soap operas. I'm not watching much of the soap operas. In my, I just like sports and so on. And so the recent ones, I don't know. So forgive me for my old example. Some of you young ones and some of you millennials will not know what I'm talking about. There was a soap opera we used to watch back then called Dallas. <laughs> I'm giving away my age. Eh? <laughs> and there was a character there called JR. You know what I'm about JR? Oh, yeah. Now, 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 somebody was helping me. The, the, the recent movies, they were telling me that there's a character like that called Esibaya. Kiman, Kiman character you. So even in movies, they will always have a character like that. But that's just evil. Go to this guy. When they have an appointment with you, there's just an evil intent. When they send you a letter, there's an evil. There's just evil. 24-7, 365 and a quarter, evil. Doesn't stop. Now watch this. That's not how they started. There were once a baby. Who could blush? They were a baby who couldn't lie convincingly. But as they kept on violating their conscience, tolerating things, get to a point where they become evil. Oh, yeah. They've totally degenerated. They've gotten to that point where they are hardened. And there's not much you can do about them. But they're just evil through and through. Now, if that stage, there's no divine intervention, we move to stage five. Look as coma in a stage five. <laughs> Yet. <laughs> but then we move to stage five, which is a seared conscience. This is a difficult one. 
The word seared means to burn. To char the surface. Figuratively, it means to make hard or unfeeling. To become colors. In the courts, they talk about a hardened criminal. But this, this person didn't get there. As a child, they, 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 didn't, they were not like that. As a child, they were shy. They were blushing. They felt bad. But my goodness, they kept tempering with the thermostat. Yeah. Until they get to a point where everything has burned. Look at 1 Timothy 4, verse 1 and 2. Now the Spirit expressly speaks that in the last days, in the last days, watch this. I wanted to say, in the last days, some will depart from the faith. Giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. So you see how this comes. They depart from the faith. So willfully these people walk away from the fundamentals of what the Bible says. From the things that the Bible says. And intentionally they listen to seducing spirits and doctrines that they know they are wrong. So people try to defend what's wrong. Try to defend something in the name of preaching or, or leading or being in a person of God. Whatever it is. And, and we know it's wrong. Note next verse. Speaking lies in hypocrisy. So even if they're lying, they know they're lying. Yeah, they're just hypocrites. They know they're not telling the truth. But watch why the problem is. Having their conscience seared with a hot iron. So these ones is not people who innocently are doing what's wrong. They know what they're doing. They're intentional. And they have no feeling. They get whatever they will get for their own cause, they don't care about you. Uh -huh. When you see, as you've seen some of the clips, some of the people being hijacked and you see this guy just take a gun, just pull the trigger and blow somebody's brains out. How do you get there? Unless you're high on drugs. Unless you're under some the influence of some substance, but under normal circumstances, even if you don't know Christ, there's very few people who can just kill a human being just like that and just walk away like they haven't done anything. Something, you, something in here must be tempered with. I don't know many of you know the, the, um, the SEALs, the American SEALs. You know the SEALs? In America, there's a, there's a team of guys that they train uh, for, special, for special things and special interventions. It's like they are soldiers, but they are much more than soldiers. They train them well, and when they need to go and do interventions, they send the SEALs. And, and I remember some few years ago, I spoke to somebody who had a friend who, is a, who, uh, who became one of the SEALs. And he was talking to me and telling me how his friend was regretting why he went into that program. Because in the training of the SEALs, they take you through such training to get you to a point where almost your conscience just dies. You can just shoot somebody's brains out and see the brain splatter and never feel anything. Yeah. The, the problem is with us as human beings is that because we are spirit beings, there, there's, a certain, there's a certain level that the conscience will not cross. If you push it, there's a certain place where you can't take the conscience. If you take that conscience there, you break. And that's why some of them have relapses, mental relapses. Yeah, there's, there's several, he was telling me, several in the U.S. who are, who are cases now, hospital cases. Bec and then they have nightmares. My late father, 
was once admitted in one of the hospitals. And when I came to see him, he, he was so sad. And he was telling me about a young man who was in the same ward with him. This boy would wake up in the middle of the night in the cold sweat, screaming, Tabo! Tabo! Hey, Tabo! Tabo, hey! Screaming! Screaming! Every evening! Tabo, hey! Hey, Tabo! And finally, my dad was curious to know what happened. And when he found out, he found out this boy had gone out with a group of friends. And unfortunately, this group of friends didn't tell him that they were looking for trouble. You know, it's almost like when people want to hijack somebody or steal something, but they had decided we're not going to kill anybody. But, but somehow during the hijacking, one of the guys just got too excited and just shot somebody's brains out and he saw it. And he pushed his conscience to a, a breaking point. Just couldn't take it. And this boy was never okay. God has designed our conscience. Not to cross certain stages. I tell you. And if we let it happen, then even the voice of God becomes indistinct to us. And we end up in utter darkness, lost. But thank God that the conscience can be sensitized again. Let me show you how as we close. What will help us to keep our conscience sensitized? Number one, an immediate acknowledgement and confession of sin when we hear God's word or God's spirit talk to us. And this will lead to the blood of Jesus cleansing us. You know, one of the things we haven't talked about as much is that, you know, the blood of Jesus not only cleanses our sin, you know, in terms of us going to heaven, but the blood of Jesus somehow cleanses our consciences and, and, and recalibrates our conscience. Resets the thermostat of our conscience. Look at Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews 9, verse 13 and 14. And if the blood of bulls and goats, it's talking about the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes and the heifer and the sprinkling of the unclean, did sanctify and purify the flesh. It had some effect. Mara, look at the next verse. How much more? If the blood of bulls and goats had effect and power, and it could sanctify and cleanse the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience, purge your conscience, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Can I hear an amen? Oh my goodness. The blood of bulls and goats had impact, but it could only help your flesh and help your body. But my goodness, the blood of Jesus goes beyond the flesh. It goes be beyond the body. It goes right into your conscience and, and, and it cleanses your conscience. It, it purges your conscience from dead works so that we can serve the living God without any form of guilt or shame. The blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. That's why after you've received Christ, you know, and, and he's cleansed you and changed you and, and made you a child of God, it's almost like there's a, there's a ton of bricks that has been just offloaded from you. 
That's why after you receive Jesus Christ, there's something about you in your heart. You want to do what's right. You don't want to hurt people. You don't want to sin anymore. You don't want to do what's wrong. Because it is that blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all manner of sin. Wow. And today, no matter who you are, no matter what you have done, the blood of Jesus. I said the blood of Jesus. I said the blood of Jesus. That's why we talk about the blood of Jesus. It is the blood of Jesus that is able to cleanse us and cleanse our conscience from dead works. So when we receive Christ, not only do we get born again, but God recalibrates our conscience. <laughs> God, God starts something new on the inside of us. And God resets us. And then you realize the things that you used to do, how do I outside the You're no longer comfortable because you are not the same person anymore. The things that you used to, to put up with, things that you used to, to go to, you can't go to them convincingly. Watch if we are trying to we first If we are, you have to push your tolerance level. But once the blood of Christ comes into your life, changes you. Number two, number two, we need to learn to live by God's word. Live by God's word and fellowship with God. I didn't realize, but. I am realizing as I read this that when we live by God's word on a daily basis and practice God's word, there's something about that that activates the power of the blood of Christ. Look at 1 John 1, verse 5 to verse 7. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. Oh my goodness. In him there's no darkness at all. Watch. Next verse. If we say we have fellowship with him and, and walk in darkness, we, we will lie. And the truth is not in us. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. The blood didn't only work that day when you received Jesus as Savior and Lord of your life. Mm -mm. But the blood is working every day, 24-7, 365 and a quarter. As you walk in the word of God, the blood of Jesus cleanses you and it keeps you clean. And as it cleanses you, it makes your conscience change. And you realize the more you live for God, the more compassionate you become. The more you live for God, the more you want to stay away from sin. Am I talking to somebody in this house? The more you live for God is the more you want to move forward in your life. Because the blood of Jesus cleanses you from all manner of sin. So there's a cleansing that comes first time when we come to Christ. But there's a cleansing that is there every day. Every day as you walk by God's word. Every day as you read God's word. Every day God cleanses you and washes you of the sins that of the past, of the sins of today. And washes me of the sins of tomorrow. Not only does he wash me, he works on my conscience and he changes me. That your path as the righteous shines brighter and brighter and brighter. And we move from faith to faith and from strength to strength. And we become stronger and stronger and stronger in the things of God. 
And the people who knew you then, when they meet you years later, they want to know what happened to you. Kenga kaya finga wilangko yona kijaso. Aya, aya. And His blood cleanses us and keeps our consciences tender. Can I hear an amen? Can I hear an amen? And finally, if something is bothering you. Don't push yourself to do it. If we are now outwardly saying, "Are you, Chwada?" Tell your neighbor, Chwada. <laughs> yeah. Don't set the level of your conscience with somebody else's thermostat. If you are not comfortable with it, walk away from it. You know, there are certain things, Basalana, we, we, we shouldn't stay around. We must just run. Like Joseph. Joseph, Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 27-28. If any of them that believe not bid you to a feast and you'd be supposed to go, whatever is said before you eat, asking no questions, for conscience sake. So Paul says, look, if, if you are, these days, you know, people used to sacrifice their meat to idols. So Paul says, if you've gotten to a point in your spiritual life where you're grown up and matured enough, and you know that there's only one God, idols is not an issue, you can pray over the food, just eat, because you, your conscience is fine. But then he says the next thing in the next verse. But if any man say, this is offered in sacrifice unto idols, don't eat. For his sake, the one who pointed it out, and for conscience' sake, Paul says, "Now you know now this was offered to us. If you ate, it's from the idols, fine. But I also say, in your conscience, brothers, you don't eat. Don't eat for the sake of your conscience, and don't eat also to protect the other person, because when they see you doing the batara, harms alone." So Paul is saying. If something bothers you, walk away from it. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5 and 19. It says, now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure conscience and a good conscience, a pure heart and a good conscience and faith and faith. Look at verse 19. Holding faith and a good conscience. Paul says, hold faith and hold a good conscience. Live your life for Christ. Check your thermostat. Check your conscience. Holding faith and a good conscience, which some have been put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. But you know, the shipwreck not only comes because of living your faith, but also ignoring your conscience. You see, your conscience is the spiritual radar system that God has put on the inside of you to warn you of danger that's in the way. Today we all know, many of us have heard about the Titanic. A ship that was designed to withstand any form of weather. Nothing could break it. Indestructible, they said. And it set sail 
But as it was heading in a certain direction, the warning signals in the ship kept on flashing, informing the captain, danger ahead. Danger ahead. Danger ahead. And the captain behaved like that advert and said, what could go wrong? What could go wrong? I mean, this ship was designed to withstand any form of weather pattern. It doesn't matter. Even if there's icebergs, this ship can break it. But the warning signals. And finally, when the captain finally decided to take action, it was too late. Please don't go into life with the attitude, what could go wrong? God's talking to you. Signals are flashing. In the early stages, at stage one, at stage two, stage three, don't say what could go wrong. If you don't take action, shipwreck is ahead. And when the ship experiences problems and it gets destroyed, we can't turn back and say, why didn't God talk to me? God would say, hey, I gave you signals. When you were at stage one, when you're at stage two, when I, I gave you signals, I spoke to you, but you got to a point where even with the signals were there, the spiritual mukenke was too thick. <laughs> Couldn't get through to you. But today we can say, God, here I am. Let your blood purge my conscience from dead works. Bible says if we, if, if, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Bow your heads with me, please. Jesus. Oh, Jesus. It reaches to the heart and it flows to the lowest It's that blood. It will Sing it again. Sing it again. It is that blood that helps us. It reaches to the heart.
Could you bow your heads, please, and close your eyes and remain seated for a while? I know there are people who are here probably for the first time. It might not even be your first time. But as you've been listening to the word of God today, you realize that Jesus came to really change your life, not to condemn you, not to tell you that there's no hope, but that he should come into your life, cleanse you of your wrong, that your sins will be forgiven, that God will set your path on new ground. You haven't received Christ as yet as Savior and Lord. You don't remember doing it. Maybe if you once did it in the past, you went back to your old way of living. You allowed stage one, stage two, stage three, stage four. And you look at your life now and even if you once knew Christ before, when you look at your life, you really seems there's no evidence of a changed life. Today you want to say, I want to come to you. Jesus, I want to come to you today. I want to be forgiven for my wrong. Forgiven of my sin. I want your blood to cleanse me. Change me. Transform my life. Wherever you are, wherever you are seated. I want to pray with you if you need that prayer. Don't be afraid at all. This is the place where we ask God. We come just as we are. And God forgives us of our wrongs and our sins. If you need the prayer, you want to receive Christ, or you want to recommit your life to God, would you raise your hand right where you are? If you need the prayer, just raise it up right where you are seated. I want to pray with you this morning. Just raise it up. Raise it up. Thank you for those hands. God bless you. Raise it up all the way, even in the foyer there. That's right. Just raise them up. Raise them up. That's right. This is the place where we pray. We take the time to pray. We are not ashamed, God, to come just as we are. Would you stand on your feet, all those who raised your hands? Right where you are, please. Would you stand on your feet, please? Stand on your feet. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that's the way. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to ask you to take another step. Take all your belongings and just move to the front. I want to pray with you right here. Just come. Just come. Just come. Give them a big hand, everybody. Come on, even people at the back. We'll wait for you.